That was the day of salvation. As we mentioned in the bulletin, there's several special prayer requests. I uh, want to remind you to continue praying for Suzanne. She shows up late at night to do the work for the seminary, and then on Sundays for the last several weeks and almost a month now, she's had, she has to work. Um, she'll continue to do that until April 15th, trying to get things done for some of her uh, uh, the accounts that she has. And so she's asked that we pray for her. So continue praying for Suzanne. Uh, Burl shared with me that, that Brenda may be facing uh, uh, heart surgery. So we need to pray for, for this dear sister. So we need to be praying for, uh, praying for Brenda. Uh, uh, Neil and, and uh, Marcia Wells have asked us to pray for their granddaughter. And so I want to remind you to do that, that you would take these, these and the other prayer requests uh, before the Lord. Uh, when, you, when you spend time with God, when you go to God in, in prayer. This morning, I want us to continue with our Bible study on what we believe and why we believe it. We've talked about what we believe about the Bible. We've talked about what we believe about the Trinity. We've talked about what we believe concerning the purpose of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be talking about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Now, as we get into that, I want to do like I've done each time. I want to read from our doctrinal statement. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and regenerates, seals, indwells, enlightens, and empowers the saved and baptizes believers into the body of Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. We believe that He is the third person of the, the Holy Trinity. Now, this morning it's not going to be possible to exhaust the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just, there's just no way that we could, we could possibly do that. So I'm sure there's certain truths, there's certain things that I'm going to leave out. But know this, some of the things concerning the Holy Spirit we're going to be discussing when we talk about the gifts, because that's, that's also in our doctrinal statement, what we believe about gifts. And we're going to be um, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in a little more detail when we are talking about the gifts of the, of the Spirit. Uh, we're also going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit when we get into our doctrine on, uh, on baptism. We're going to be talking about that in more detail. So we're going to be covering a lot of those type of topics and those issues concerning the Holy Spirit uh, a little bit later on when we get into it. But if we don't cover a, a, a question that you might have, don't hesitate to write that question down. And, and give that to me, and then I'll try to get back to you either in person or write to you or do something so that you, uh, you have an answer uh, from that, from, from God's Word concerning the Holy Spirit or really any of these doctrinal positions. Uh, don't hesitate to write that, that question down. A few weeks ago, we discussed uh, the Holy Spirit, that He is the third person of the Trinity. Uh, we do not question His deity. He is God. Uh, some people do question the... Uh, his the personality that he is the third person, um, but I tell you this morning he is not an it, he is uh, a he, and he is described throughout scriptures with personal pronouns. I want us to briefly look at that by turning to John. John chapter fourteen. There are other scriptures, but we're not going to be able to hit all of them. 
but I, I want to, to have you go to John chapter 14. Start with verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Look at verse 26 of that same chapter. But the comforter, but the comforter which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. The Scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit in the, as a person. It uses personal pronouns. The, Lord Je I mean, the, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. The Holy Spirit can be vexed. He can be, resi he can be resisted. Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit convicts. And He performs other duties that are indicative of personality. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God whom we worship. Now this morning, I'm not concerned with proving to you that the Holy Spirit is God from the Scripture. I'm just going to tell you, He is. The scriptures make no bones about that, that the Holy Spirit is God. And this morning, we're not going to allow time to go back into the Old Testament to prove that the Holy Spirit was there active in the, Holy, in the Old Testament, but He was. But there are three instances in the Old Testament that I'm going to bring to your attention real quick. Number one, what did David pray in Psalm 51, he prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. King Saul, because of his involvement in witchcraft and because of his, his wickedness, what happened? The Holy Spirit was taken from King Saul. And in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 1, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit when the Spirit of God does what? comes upon the face of the waters. The Hebrew there is literally flutters. He causes activity there, uh, and he uh, is uh, moved upon the face of the waters there at the time of creation. And what I think is interesting, as, as we look into the doctrine of, of the Holy Spirit, what I think is interesting is there are a lot of churches that emphasize one or the other of the triune God. You know, you have some of these so-called high church, you know, Episcopalian, at least they think they're high church, and some of the Episcopalian and some of the other churches that only talk about God the Father. You never hear them talk about God the Son. You never hear them talk about God the Holy Spirit. And they emphasize and neglect the other two members of the Trinity. Then you have those churches that emphasize the Son. They never talk about God the Father they never talk about the Holy Spirit. They just talk about God the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And you never hear a teaching about the works of the others. Uh, 
you Baptist churches and some of those Bible, some of those other churches are like that. Then you have your churches, your charismatic, your Pentecostal churches that you very hear, you hear very little about um, God the Father, God the Son, and the emphasis is strictly on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, I think it's important as we study God's Word, that we see the Godhead as complete and functioning in the redemption of mankind. It's important that we see the function and the mission and the ministry of each three of these people uh, and uh, persons of the Godhead. We need to have a scriptural balance. And the only way to accomplish that is by understanding the, the cooperative work that each person in the Trinity has in the fulfilling of God's plan and purpose to, to redeem man and bring about his eternal purpose. It's important that we see the one true and living God functioning and ministering as the triune God. And it is so important that as a church, and I think one of the reasons why the churches today have such problems, why they are, are just not very energetic and they seem to be anemic, is because they do not recognize, they do not accept, they do not promote the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, the body of Christ's life. The reason there's no victory in so many churches today is because they neglect that power and that might and that filling that the Holy Spirit offers to those who believe. The reason there's no victory is because they fail to emphasize the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this morning we're going to look at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, which are two separate functions, ministries of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that, that fully. This morning you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is actively working in the world today. This very moment there are miracles taking place around this globe. On, on this planet, there are people who are lost, who are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior as they come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that they have rejected Christ, that they are lost, and that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. There are men and women who are falling to their knees this very moment and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why are they doing that? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting them. There are Christians around this nation and around this world who are coming under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and who are crying out to God, who are repenting of their sins, and they are, 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 are seeing that fellowship with God restored. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, I'm telling you, that is a miracle. Especially if you stop and think that in Galatians chapter 4, God's Word tells us clearly that Satan, not only is he the God of this world, but what does he have the power to do? Satan has the power, the might, to blind the eyes of the lost so that they might not see the glorious truth of the gospel. Now that's power. There are people who have rejected Christ because Satan has blinded them to that truth. What kind of amazing power, what miracle could take place that would remove that blindness? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me that God is not moving. Don't tell me that the Holy Spirit, that the day of miracles has passed. Anytime and every time a man puts his faith and trust in Christ, that is evidence that a miracle has taken place. 
that a man has just been made, or a woman has just been made, a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is the work of, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying this moment on our behalf. When I prayed a while ago, it was the Holy according to God's Word, as we're going to see, it is the Holy Spirit that prays for us. Because I don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. Nor do you know what to pray for. We make our requests known unto God, but we don't know how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit takes our prayers before God. The Holy Spirit is comforting this very moment. The Holy Spirit is baptizing. He is sealing. He is sanctifying. All of these works the Holy Spirit is doing right this moment. He is alive and He is at work. Now the Holy Spirit, according to God's Word, is equal with God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I want us to see this very clearly. Acts chapter 5. Start with verse 3. Peter's talking to Ananias here. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? So what does Peter accuse Ananias of doing? Lying to the Holy Spirit. Right? Drop down to verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in your heart that thou hast not lied unto men, but you have lied unto God? In verse 3, he's saying you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Here he's saying you've lied to God. They are one and the same. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. He is the Godhead. In Matthew 28, turn there with me real quick. In Matthew chapter 28, I think it's important that we see the Trinity mentioned together. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit mentioned together. Verse 19 of, of Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. All three of them here are mentioned. In 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians, all three are mentioned together again. And I think it's extremely important as we see them being mentioned here in this verse together. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And, and, and actually, this kind of gives you an outline of, of the workings of the triune God. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion, the Greek word there is koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You know why we enjoy fellowship together? It's because of the Holy Spirit who causes the body of Christ to recognize one another and to rejoice with one another. If you don't enjoy being with members of the body of Christ, I need to talk to you about your salvation. Because see, the Spirit of God, in, as we're going to see, testifies, enlightens us to the fact that we are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit causes 
us to bear witness to one another that the Holy Spirit indwells us and lives with us. And the Holy Spirit enjoys that fellowship, enjoys that communion. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And there is that sweet, sweet communion fellowship that is caused by the Holy Spirit. You ever met somebody and you just seem to click off, click it, I mean, it just seems to click. You just meet someone and you feel like you've known them all your life, and all of a sudden you start talking to them and you just realize that, hey, this person's a Christian, and, I, and, it's, and it's like you, you're not strangers. You may have only met them for five minutes, but you feel like you've known them all your life and you're not strangers. It's because the Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that they're believers. What precious fellowship. What, what brings that about? See, the Holy Spirit is living within you. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and it's bearing witness of that tremendous, tremendous fact. You know, there's no name given for the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And Charles Baker says there's a reason for that. Charles Baker says the reason that there is no name given for the Holy Spirit it's because his ministry, and I, and I think we need to understand this, his ministry is not to speak of himself, right? He is to bear witness of whom? Jesus Christ. John 15 verse 26 tells us that he is going to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 15. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He reveals the things of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to glorify Him. We read that while ago in John 16, verses 13 and 14, that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ. One truth about the Lord is that He is where? Seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we are seated with Him in the heavenlies, right? What a tremendous blessing that is, is to have that position in Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ is seated. And when you're seated, what is that an indication of? Peace and rest. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Then who's doing all the work in this dispensation of the grace of God? It's the Holy Spirit that's actively involved. The work is being done by the Holy Spirit. The work is completed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will stay completed until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, and the Lord Jesus comes back. He's going to call His church home, and there, but there's going to come a time after the tribulation when the Lord is going to establish His kingdom, and He'll get back to work. But right now it's the Holy Spirit that is working and that is active. This morning I want us to take a look at it's some of the acts, some of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already talked about a few. Uh, he bears witness. Turn, turn to Romans, because we, we just got to read this. This is, just, this is just fantastic. Look at Romans, because it really gives us an indication what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 16. See, there really should be no doubt in your life that you're a believer. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then 
We take God at His word, but why do we take God at His word? I believe it is the testifying of the Holy Spirit that convinces us, that enlightens us to the truth that God's word is dependable. We can accept it, and according to Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit itself or Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Remember, we're body, soul, and spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that you are the children of God. Now, I can't tell whether... I mean, I can tell. I mean, I can, I, you've told me, and I believe you, and the Spirit bears witness to that. But there's really only one person I know who is saved. And that's me. And the Holy Spirit bears witness of that fact in my life. I could no more deny Him than I could deny that I've got shoes on right now. Now, you don't know whether I have shoes on right now. But I know I have shoes on. I can't deny that fact. I cannot deny that there is no God. I cannot deny that I am a believer and that I am a child of God because the Holy Spirit who indwells me convinces me, enlightens me to that truth. He testifies, He bears witness that, of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit bears witness that I'm a child of God. And the Holy Spirit bears witness that His Word is true. That's another thing that according to God's Word, He teaches, He teaches us His Word. Matter of fact, you wonder how was the canon formed? You wonder how this, all the Scriptures came together? Hey, it's probably the least of the miracles. It's the Holy Spirit. Spirit that led and directed, and, and according to 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 21, the Holy Spirit is technically the author of the Word, the written Word, as He moved on the hearts of the prophets, as He moved on the hearts of holy men, and the Holy Spirit is the one who, who gave them the Word. It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that these 66 books could be brought together to be the complete Word of God. Why, it's the Holy Spirit that has the power to bring that about. But the Holy Spirit teaches God's Word. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Start with verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. And this context here is talking about the mystery, the truth of God's, God's mystery. But God has revealed these things to us. And how has He done that? According to God's Word, it's the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
That is the Holy Spirit that is illuminating. It is this Holy Spirit that teaches us the things of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. For the, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet, him, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? It is through the Holy Spirit. He is the one who teaches God's Word. You've heard lost people say, well, the Bible just doesn't make sense to me. I just can't understand the Scriptures. You're not going to be able to understand the Scriptures if you're lost. If the Holy Spirit is not in your heart and in your life, you can't understand God's Word. Hey, let me tell you something, Christian. It's difficult enough to understand God's Word without, I mean, with the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit, there are some things required that you study and that you pray, right? The natural man, according to this scripture here, cannot understand. It's foolishness to him. How can a lost man take this word and open it up and it makes sense to him? He, of course he's going to deny it. Of course it's not going to have power because the energizing force is not within him for him to understand the completeness and the revelation of the living and true God from these pages. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches and who illuminates the Scriptures. John 14, 26 that we read a while ago and John 16, 13. It talks about the, the Lord Jesus saying the Holy Spirit, He's going to guide you in all truth. He's going to teach you all things. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't understand God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness and correction and list all those things. The word inspiration there, as we discussed a few weeks ago, means God breathed. But the word inspiration actually, literally, has to do with Spiration, not inspiration, but spiration. The idea is the Spirit Himself bearing witness to the truth of God's Word. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction. Now, how in the world can these words convict me that I'm supposed to obey them? They're just words. Take out the encyclopedia. Take, take, just take the Encyclopedia Britannica and open it up and go, I'm going I'm to start doing what it says here. Is that inspired? Hey, men of genius may have put it together, but it's not inspired. Take Field and Stream. Hey, the Quarter Horse Journal is not even going to be able to give you instruction in righteousness. And even this book here would not if it were not for the Holy Spirit convicting us of its truth. When we read the pages and the words on this book, 
It is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It has an effect on our lives, not because these words are so precious, but because the power behind it is alive and is true. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness that it's true. God's Word convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. And there's something you need to understand about that. And I always flub this up. I always, I always somehow get this wrong and people come to me later and go, huh? What were you trying to say? Maybe I can get it right this time. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit does not convict a lost person of their sins. The Holy Spirit convicts the loss of their sin, of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a lost person does not really care that they are sinning. That conviction, they may be sorry that they got caught. They may be remorseful that they affected certain people's lives because of their sin. But the Holy Spirit does not convict a lost person of their sins. The flesh loves to be gratified, and a lost person who does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them is, does not fall under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit for their sins. The Holy Spirit convicts the loss of their sin, their sin of rejecting Christ. And He points them to the remedy of that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ that they have rejected Him, that they need Him, that they are lost. And the truth of it is that they need God's remedy, and that is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that washes away all sin, who makes us righteous. Now, does that make sense? The power of the Holy Spirit in a lost person's mind in life is to convict them of their sin of rejection. Now, you let a Christian sin, and I speak from personal experience, Man, there's immediate conviction. The Holy Spirit indwells me. And when I sin, I just, I grieve. The Holy Spirit does not allow me to get away with that sin. And guess what? I'm really thankful for that, by the way. <laughs> you know what it tells me? God just loves me so much. I used to tell my kids that all the time. They'd try to do something wrong and they never could get away with it. And I said, be thankful. Be thankful. It shows that God loves you. I don't let you get away with this because I love you. See, the Holy Spirit convicts His own of their sins and of their wayward ways. And when they're out of fellowship, the Holy Spirit is drawing them back in. And let me tell you something else you can't do, people, because I'm guilty of this too. You can't convict someone. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I remember when I was in high school, and I, after I got saved, I thought everybody ought to be saved. Still do believe everybody ought to be saved. But I went about to convict them. And I'd march up and down the halls of Stanhope Elmore High School in Millbrook, Alabama, and I would go around, and I would, you let a couple of people be together standing next to their lockers, and, uh, man, I want to go and tell them that Jesus saves. And they'd better repent. They'd better get right with God. And it got to the point where people would see me coming, and whoosh, they'd go the other way. And I don't blame them. It's kind of embarrassing now when I look back at it. But I had one guy in particular. 
probably taught me more about proper evangelism and how to approach someone than anyone else. And he didn't do it very kindly. I was following him down the hall. We were going to the next class. And as the, the, bell, the one class was over and we had only a few minutes to get to the next class, and I was behind him and I was talking to Mike Dodd, and I said, Mike, man, I need to tell you, you need to get right with God. Mike, God sent me here to tell you that you are lost and you're on your way to hell and, and blah, 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 blah. And I was just really preaching. And I, I knew I only had a few minutes because we had to get to class. And time was running out. The rapture might take place before we got to class and then my friend Mike Dodd wouldn't go to heaven. And I was just behind him, just talking and, and maybe not wagging my finger because my hands were full of books. But boy, I was wagging my tongue and telling Mike that he needed to repent. Because I, I used to run around with Mike. I knew what he was into. I knew what he was doing. And we, as we were walking down the hall, Mike just stopped and he turned around and he put his finger in my face and he said, Ricky Owsley, if you're going to heaven, I want to go to hell. Someplace away from you. And boy, I'll tell you what, I just went, oh. And the Holy Spirit just used that to convict me that, hey, talking to Mike was his job. Convicting Mike was his job. It was not mine. My job was tell him what God's Word says and let the Holy Spirit do it. I, I remember talking to a man when I, when I in, in, in the summers, I'd work for Winn-Dixie. I'd work in the fab room, and, and we'd, we'd, we'd cut meat and ground hamburger and did all sorts of things. And there was about 70 of the most ungodly men you've ever been around in your life. You ever worked for a butcher shop? These men were mean, and they had knives too, so you didn't want to say a whole lot to get them upset. And these men, they were, they were nasty. And they knew I was a Christian, they knew I was in college studying to be a minister, and they would call me over sometime, we'd be at that boning table, and we'd be just you know, boning and the, the, the meat and cutting and, and getting it trimmed up to send to, the, send to the, uh, the stores. And they'd call me over to that table, and, and uh, they'd just say a bunch of profanity and a bunch of stuff just to get me riled up. And I'd, I'd, tell them, I'd say, you're going to hell? I said, you, you guys just don't understand. You're going to stand before God. Every knee's going to bow, blah, 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 blah. I'd just get on to them. And there was one in particular. His name was Mixon Sims. And I remember Mixon calling me over one time, and I can't even remember what he said. And if I, even if I could, I wouldn't repeat it. It was bad. I know that. And I said, Mixon Sims, you going straight, and I stopped. I remembered Mike Dodd. And I said, Mixon, God loves you. Christ died for you. If there's ever a time you want to talk, well, I wish you'd just let me know, and let's get together. And everybody kind of chuckled and let it go. Usually they just laugh and howl and keep going. After work, Mixon came up to me as I was leaving, and he said, He said, I'm really having a difficult time with my family. He said, do you think you could come over tonight and talk to me? He said, I've got to do something about straightening my life out. And I said, sure. Man, I'm mixing. I'd love to come. He lived way out in the country. And I wasn't very smart with directions. So don't tell me the Holy Spirit doesn't work miracles because I found his place. I'm, you're talking about back roads, dirt roads of Alabama. Boy, he lived back. 
And I found his place and went and I sat down and I started sharing the gospel with Mixon. And he put his faith in Christ. Not because of what I told him, but what God's word told him. And then his wife, she bowed her head and she trusted. And then his kids came in and they listened to the gospel and they trusted Christ. See, it wasn't me that was doing the convicting. It is the word of God that does the convicting, that changes. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit prays. We don't know how to pray. But according to Romans chapter 8, uh, chapter eight verse 26, that the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities because we don't know how to pray. Look at Romans 8 real quick. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't know how to pray. You may you say, you know what, I don't pray like so-and-so prays. doesn't matter. <laughs> the best prayer in the world doesn't know how to pray. But it's the Holy Spirit who makes intercession for us before God. He knows our heart. He knows what's in our minds. He knows what we're feeling. God's Word tells us to make our supplication and our, our request made known unto God. And He gives us a peace that passes understanding. That's the Holy Spirit that's giving us that peace that passes understanding. The Holy Spirit prays. So when you bow your head at night or in the morning and whenever you pray during the day and you cry out to God, you know that it's the Holy Spirit that's taking those requests, that's taking those heart, heart requests before the throne of God on your behalf and be thankful for that. According to that scripture, He helps our infirmities. He helps our weaknesses. According to Acts 9.31, the Holy Spirit comforts. John 14, God, the Lord Jesus calls Him the Comforter. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, the Holy Spirit strengthens. How does he strengthen? It is the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you. That indwelling is a constant, fixed, permanent resident. The Holy Spirit lives within you. According to Romans 8, verses 8 through 11. One of the most important lessons, and we're, all, we're really out of time, but, I, but listen, young people. Listen, old people, the number one truth you need to learn as a believer is what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your behavior matters. Your conduct matters. Your testimony matters. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you. If you're a believer this morning, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You are the temple. Your body is the temple of God. That indwelling is a fixed, permanent dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 tells you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That filling is an active, 
ongoing process. When sometimes it's, it's the, uh, the experience you have of just feeling overjoyed and overflowed and, and just so close to God. That's that feeling where the, whole, feeling where the Holy Spirit just seems to boil over in your life. And that takes place. The Holy Spirit seals us. Wow. What a phenomenal truth that is. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 22, talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Talks about that earnest, that earnest. What is earnest? You ever bought something and you had to put down earnest money? You ever, had some, you ever purchased something and you have to put down a down payment? When you put that down payment down, what are you pledging to do? Follow through. You're pledging that I'm going to carry out this transaction. I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to buy this car. Here's my earnest money. Here's my down payment. And this is an indication that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. But according to God's Word, that sealing of the Holy Spirit is God's down payment until the day of redemption, until the rapture. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The fact that the Holy Spirit indwells you, the fact that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit is God's earnest money on your life, that this is mine, this is my possession, I have affixed my seal, this is my identification, that this one belongs to me, and you can't have it, Satan. World, you can't have it. This person no longer belongs to you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. That seal implies ownership. It implies security that has been affixed to your spirit. And nothing can break that seal. Nothing can make that seal null and void. That is God's security. That is God's assurance that He owns you, that you belong to Him. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Not only are you sealed into the day of redemption, the Holy Spirit takes you the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He places you into, He immerses you. Baptizo has the idea of immersion. Being immersed into the body of Christ. And not taken back out, by the way. You are immersed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You are sealed there until the day of redemption. That's why nothing can separate you from the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says that, that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You are taken out of Adam, the old man, 
and you are placed into the new man, Jesus Christ, the reality of it is you change identities before a holy God and you are placed into Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking more about that when we talk about the doctrine of baptism. It's so important that we see the role of the Holy Spirit in redemption. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit fills us. That's the action. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you can't get excited about that, something's wrong. And the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are, that you are, a child of God. What a ministry. See, God has not left us comfortless. God has not left us without a witness. God is not the God who is out there someplace that could care less. He is the God that is working and molding in your life. And the Holy Spirit is there to bring comfort and to help your infirmities. Your infirmities. If you're like me, you've got a bunch of them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come before you thanking you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we come thanking you for that convicting power Father, we thank you this morning that those you love, you chastise. And we thank you, Father, for that sweet, precious correction that is provided by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we thank you for the joy and the peace and the excitement of being your child that we realize as the Holy Spirit bears witness of that fact. Father, we thank you that we can experience the power of the resurrection in a victorious life right now because of the Holy Spirit. Father, I'm thankful this morning that there's no temptation taking us but such as common demand that you will find a way, you will provide a way for us to escape that temptation. And Father, that is only because of the Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts, indwells our lives. Father, may we access that power as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, this morning I pray that if there's anyone here who's never trusted you as their Savior, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will move on their hearts and in their minds right now, convicting them of their rejection of you and their need of trusting Christ as Savior. Father, I'm thankful this morning that the gospel is not a list of things a person needs to do in order to get saved. I'm thankful this morning, Father, that the gospel is what a person needs to believe in order to be saved. Thank you for that salvation. And I pray that if there's anyone here that's never trusted you, that they'll settle that issue this very moment. Father, I pray this morning that if there's Christians here whose lives are not right with, with you, Father, the Holy Spirit will convict them of that. And during the quietness of this moment, that precious fellowship will be restored as gently you draw that person to yourself. 
We pray these things in the name that's above all other names. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.